Hi, I'm Shannon, pastor at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us during our study of the book of Mark, where the theme is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The whole point of studying this book is so that you can find out more about what the Bible has to say about the person and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and a notebook, and let's dive into the book of Mark. And I hope that you could join us sometime soon for a live service where ministry happens in relationships and you can get connected to other brothers and sisters in the faith. See you soon. Okay, well, I'm Pastor Shannon. We're going to be diving right back into Mark this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 38 to 41 today. Our church is in the midst of a series where we are taking a long, slow, intentional walk through the book of Mark. The idea here is that by taking time to look at each verse and each passage in kind, that God's Word has the ability to open up, to make application to each one of our lives, and we can put into action what we're learning and what we're, what we're seeing and experiencing. We call that expository preaching, really exposing what the Scripture has to say and making application in our lives today. And we at, at this church really believe that that's the best way to go through sermons and to go through the Scriptures. Because that way, what was important to the people in the first century is important to the people here in the 21st century. So that's how we're doing it. The core theme all the way through Mark, the one thing that Mark wants you to learn, Mark wants you to hear and understand, is the same thing that we want you to hear and understand at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. That core theme is this, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Throughout the book of Mark, if there's ever a question, what's he getting at, what's it mean, what's the point, you can always understand that that point is, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So the underlying theme is the theme we want to make sure comes out each week. Hey, guys, tech, before you, before you walk off, can you make sure that back screen works for me so I can see what's going on with everybody else? So Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, please join me in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen, but it reads precisely like this. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Let's pray for just a second. Father God, it's our request this morning um, that as we take the time to work through your word, to read and to understand, um, that you would help these words come alive in our hearts, that you would help us make application in our everyday life in ways that bring you glory and honor, that edify uh, this church and that help us, uh, these things that would help us make disciples who follow you and love you the way we do. God, I pray that our hearts are convicted this morning where you would have them be so. And I pray that we leave here today obedient and encouraged and edified as a result of having spent time in your word. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our friend. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at uh, a few things today. Uh, uh, kind of our outline looks like this. <clears throat> uh, why we resist the either-or scenario we see in Scripture. Uh, why fundamental matters are different. And Jesus' main point must not be overlooked. So uh, the primary theme overlying all of it is the impossibility of neutrality. The impossibility of neutrality. Jesus had said, he who's not against us is for us. He who's not for us is against us. Therefore, there's just not a lot of middle ground to be neutral and say, yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I'm okay with Jesus. I'm not really a follower. I'm not an antagonist. I'm just, I'm kind of in the middle. There's really no room left for that. And so that's one of the things we're going to be looking at today. Our behavior and our belief systems just do not have a middle ground to hang out on. And so that's where this outline really comes in. Uh, We're going to look at that in those three areas. Why we resist that either or why fundamental matters are in fact different. And uh, Jesus' main point must not be overlooked. So let's start with that first one. Um, Why we resist that either or scenario. In two areas in the scripture, we see this verse, this phrase repeated. First in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, anyone who is with me, uh, sorry, anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. And then we hear how Peter had relayed that to John Mark, and when John Mark put it in that earliest gospel, uh, John Mark recorded Peter's word to sing, for whoever is not against us is for us. These are the words of Jesus that had been repeated. So Jesus really does make it a one or the other, an either or thing. And we we have a resistance, particularly as Americans. We don't like being told it's this or this. We kind of like that, well, it's got to be this way for me. We have a desire for whatever reason to find our place, our own way, find your path. Uh, rules apply to everybody but me. This seems to be somewhat of an American position that we want to be able to take. And we resist that either or thing. And we particularly resist it the way Jesus is putting it because uh, there, there's a couple of things. We want it to be the way we determine the rules, not somebody else. Let me see if I can help bring that um, uh, to light a couple of ways. The first one is we want to be the boss. We want to be uh, the one who says what's right and wrong and the one who dictates the terms of the deal. We want to be the one who says, okay, I've read the scripture. Here's what I see. This is what I understand it. It has to be my way. We want to be able to be that boss. And therefore, whoever does it my way is on my side. And whoever's just like me, thinks like me, believes like me, holds like me, uh, parses and divides the word exactly like me, they're on my side and they're with me because, because they agree. And since I made the rules, those who agree with me are my friends. And this is the way a lot of us want to see it. The other way this plays out... Um, or, or the way it even plays, let me say it a step further, it goes like this. Um, we like to have cliques. It's a human thing. Hey, by the way, it's not just middle school girls, right? It's, it's we as people like to have cliques. You see it in the workplace. You see it in politics. You see it throughout culture. Um, and, and we like to assign moral equivalents to the differing cliques. Let, let, me, let, me, let me elucidate that a little bit more. If you believe like me, you're good. If you don't believe like me, clearly you're Yeah, not just wrong, but actually morally wrong. And so we figure that if you do it my way, then we're all good and we can be friends together. So traveling back to the scripture, uh, to the words that were seen right there, uh, this is in Mark chapter 9. John had said to him, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Now, when we transliterate that from its original Greek and Aramaic writing uh, out of the Septuagint and into English, what we come up with is this phrase, he wasn't following us. And that's not a bad translation. It's really very literal. It's an excellent one. Other ways that that's been translated, not just in English, but uh, particularly in the Biblia Santo and, um, and in the Portuguese Bibles, they would say, he's not walking with us. So have you ever gone on a walk with someone? You ever done that? Maybe it's, it's you need to settle something. We just need to take a walk. Mom and dad need to take a walk. Kids, sit at the table. Mom and dad are going to take a walk for a minute. Kind of get on the same page about how we're going to you know, deal with this particular situation or handle this moment. Maybe it's a boss comes to you and says, hey, can we take a walk? 
just going to walk and get something figured out and come to the same page. Or maybe it's somebody that you agree with and you just you want to spend time with them and you go for a walk together. But when you walk with someone, you're in step with them and you're going the same place together, you're spending time together, you're of, you're of one mind. And so when some of the other translations, particularly other Latin language translations or Romantic translations say uh, he's not walking with us, I think it, it, it sheds some light on what, what John is trying to argue with Jesus. John's idea in his mind is the same idea that's in our mind because they're not walking with us. They're not on the road with us. They're not traveling with us. They're not experiencing what we're saying. They don't see it like we see it and do it like we do it. Clearly, we need to stop them because they're not with us. And Jesus jumps into John and says, buddy, no. If they're not against us, they're for us. And what was happening was these people were casting out demons in the name of Jesus, using the name of Jesus to say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be restored. In the name of Jesus, be cleansed. In the name of Jesus, get out. And they're invoking the name of Jesus. And this is where Jesus is going. You're with me because you're invoking my name. We're on the same team. But where John was and where Peter and James and so many of the others were right here because they're not doing it. Oops. They're not doing it my way. They're not saying it my way. So our way must be right and theirs must be wrong. How do you get inside the mind of Peter and break that out? Well, if you get into the moment, you remember this little verse. And this happens in the book of Luke. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Anybody remember that? Jesus, right after that feeding of 5,000, had sent out not just the 12 apostles, but 72 had been sent out, and they went ahead of Jesus and the apostles where they were going to go. And this is like that advanced garb. And they would go town to town, place to place, and they would share the message of Jesus. And they would do it by saying, peace be upon you. And the folks knew who they were because Jesus was famous. And these were followers of Jesus. And they were people of peace and of love. And they were there to share the message, prepare the way for Jesus. As John the Baptist had done, they were there to do the same. There were 72 of them. And as they went places, they had the power to cast out demons, to heal. 72 of them. Now, often we think of the apostles as just the 12. And indeed, that's how it ends up. By the time we get to Calvary, there are actually only 11 of them. But of those original 11 or 12, there had been 72. There were a larger group. Some, some authors and, and some historians said there were as many as 120 of these, these core apostolic disciple people that were following Jesus during his ministry time and that that had narrowed down to 12 by the time we get uh, really before Gethsemane. So of the 12 that, that John is talking about, here's what's happened. All along the way, people are falling away. They're leaving. And they're leaving because it's hard to follow Jesus. But some of them are leaving, not that they're leaving Jesus, it's that they're not on the road up to Caesarea Philippi. They're not traveling, walking with the apostles on this trip up north where they go all the way north for months on this travel. And so what John is probably saying at this moment is, why is it that those who aren't as dedicated and focused as we are, the elite 12 who've traveled with you up here, how is it that they're able to do these things? This is a problem. And Jesus is saying, look, look, they're not against us. They're for us. They're casting out demons in my name. They're healing in my name. It's my name that does the healing. It's, it's me that provides the power. Those of you who are with me are with me. And those who are not with me are against me. There's not a middle ground. And you see, what Jesus is teaching is a much deeper method, that, or message, that I believe gets lost because 
We think it's way back then. It has nothing to do with today. Okay, why was that hard? The underlying message from day one on the trip to Caesarea Philippi was that the disciples must be ready to love those whom they might naturally despise. As Jesus takes the twelve north, as we really see starting in about chapter 6 as they make their way north, they're going to encounter a lot of people that good Jewish folks and good Jesus followers uh, feel like they're supposed to see on the outside. They're not with us, they're them. And here's some of the thems that they're going to encounter, really, chapter 6 through 9. Think about this. Now, when they go to Gennesaret on the other side of the sea, they're going to be encountering Hellenists. The Hellenists are the people who are following the Greek way of life, Alexander's way of life, not, not the Jewish way of life, the good Jewish. These are those people, Gentile, uh, uh, Hellenists, Jewish Hellenists. Others, they're going to see the Pharisee law lovers. They're going to encounter a Gentile woman. They're going to encounter a deaf person. Remember, to the ancient Jews, they saw any kind of malady like that as God's judgment against them. So a deaf person must have been willing to listen to lies or his parents willing to listen to lies, and therefore this is a person who embraces lies and and heresy, so therefore they're out. They're on the outside of society. That was their way of thinking. Jesus is going to feed 4,000 Gentiles on that second feeding. They're going to encounter Herodians when they go north to Caesarea Philippi. They're going to encounter a blind person. They're going to encounter crucified criminals on crosses all around Philip's palace. They're going to encounter demon-possessed people. And finally, Jesus is going to invite children to come stand around him. So all of these groups, Jesus is forcing the apostles, these 12, they have to realize they deserve the gospel too. They deserve my attention. They deserve my care. And these apostles are constantly being bombarded with this singular lesson that Jesus wants them to understand. It's not you that does the separating of the sheep and the goats. It's not you that determines who's in and who's out. It's Jesus that makes that determination. And in Jesus' way of thinking, the gospel goes to all. And in Jesus' way of thinking, everybody should have the opportunity to hear the gospel and make the choice to spiritually mature or not. You as people, we as people, don't have that right to assign moral equivalence to those who may not do it just like us. And those who may not have heard yet, what we have inside of us should be a passion to speak the truth of Jesus Christ into people's lives, to live it the way that God's called us to, so that other people have the opportunity to hear the gospel, encounter the gospel, gospel, and have that choice to spiritually mature, to accept Jesus or not. And those who do are with us, and those who don't are against him. This is the underlying message. So Jesus is trying to get his apostles to understand, you don't draw the lines in the sand, I do. You don't get to determine ins and outs, I do. You don't get to be the one who says what's right and wrong, I do. And you most certainly don't get to assign moral equivalence to cultural ways of worshiping Jesus that may be consistent with Jesus, but not consistent to your own culture. Are we tracking on where those apostles are encountering right now? I know that's a little deep, isn't it? And I know for us to get our Western American 21st century Wisconsin minds around, that can be a little bit of a challenge. And, and, and I understand that. That's why I've tried to spend some time around that. Did I get it done? Are you, you, we tracking so far on point one? Okay, good. If not... Shannon at SB Community Church anytime this week, or come see me after the service. I'll try to take it a little further. Um, um, in our culture right now, let's make it really apply. Authentic, Jesus-loving Christians often differ. Would you agree? 
let's exercise this, the hands get to come up. Would you agree that authentic, Jesus-loving Christians sometimes differ? Um, Anglicans and Methodists just don't have a lot in common, but they both love Jesus, and they're both approaching Jesus with love, many of whom who are born-again Jesus followers whose understanding of the gospel and the Christian life is different than one another. And that's okay. Because if they love Jesus and their core doctrine, theological, foundational doctrine is accurate, then that's okay. And the method and the path that looks like can differ. Those primary issues are the same, but the secondary issues are areas where we sometimes differ. Uh, Deacon-governed churches versus congregational-governed uh, churches. There's a difference in how they govern. Both of them look to the Scripture and see justification for what they're doing. Is this a matter by which Christians should say, you're not saved, burn them on the cross? No, 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 no. These are differences where we may have. And sometimes this is where we find other places to worship together so that we don't encounter the strife in those differences. How about uh, when it comes to creation, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Agreed? Agreed. I mean, would, would anybody possibly say, no, that's a lie, that's fiction? Well, of course not. But within the scriptures, there's three different strong theories as to how, how God did that. And these are God-loving, Bible-believing, Jesus-saved individuals who see the Bible and creation uh, in one of those three different ways. And, and there are groups who want to draw the line in the sand and say, you have to believe it this way or you're not saved. Would you, would you please stop that? Because Scripture does not give you a, a statement that says, if you don't believe it this way, you're against me. It, it doesn't do that. What it says is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became full, formless and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Since that's the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? That's the non-negotiable, right? The finer points of the house, this is where God-loving, Jesus-believing, Bible-holding and truth-believing Christians can have some differences among us. And hey, listen, if we're for Him, we're not against Him. And if other godly, Jesus-following, Bible-believing Christians differ slightly in how God created the heavens and the earth, they're still with us. They're not against us. Are we tracking? The same thing happens with uh, how we come to church. Some of us grew up and, and still love the Sunday best. Others believe in a come-as-you-are uh, attire, you know, dress like the preacher today. But listen, I, there's a place in my heart, I'll just be honest with you, I love going into a beautiful sanctuary with the stained glass and with the pews and with the beautiful ornamentation in the front, wearing our Sunday best and singing to the organ and the piano and having the choir director up front and having the choir in the robes. I love that. I just do. It's how I grew up. I prefer it. But I also realize that that's not where everybody else is. And it's not where God's called me and where God's called us to be right now. Because in some ways, that's a foreign culture and a foreign concept to a lot of people. And, but what I grew up understanding was if you didn't do Sunday morning church and Sunday night church and Wednesday night church and Tuesday night visitation if, and, and, you know, and, and Wednesday night youth group, if you didn't do it exactly that way, then clearly you don't love God and you're probably not saved. And that idea had been pumped into my mind. Is there truth to that? No, no. What that is, is is moral equivalence attached to my way of doing things. And that was a division point. But rather than seeing us as no longer alive, we just worship the same God differently. Because those who love Him are with Him. And those who don't love Him are against Him. And those who love Him may do things differently. And we see that in the songs that we sing and the type of Bible that we hold, uh, whether we come from a dispensational or covenant approach to theology and doctrine, and whether we believe in the house church or the mega church or something in between. God-loving, Bible-believing Christians sometimes see things slightly differently. And you know what? 
If you're not against him, you're for him. If you're for him, you're not against him. And it's okay. Let's be careful that we don't become didactic in the way that we treat other brothers and sisters in the faith because we teach and treat, treat, treat secondary things differently than one another. Are we still tracking? Some of you mad at me yet? <laughs> okay. Uh, the second one is why the fundamental matter is different. So these go pretty quickly. Fundamentally, uh, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The core theme of Mark is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. You can't drift on that. If you say, well, Jesus was a prophet, I believe that. I'm sorry, you're against him. Jesus is either the Son of God or he's not. There's not room there to be able to say, well, you know, maybe, maybe. I kind of waffle on that. No, I'm sorry, that's a no. Let's know. There's no, there's no maybe when it comes to these fundamental issues. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, maybe, or maybe it was a foreign entity. Some alien entity created it and put it together and sealed it with DNA. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That doesn't work. That is heretical. That is false. That is not a saving understanding of God. That is a lie. So it's one or the, there's areas where it's fundamental and you can't wiggle on that. Jesus Christ is the only way to peace with God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, period. That's the area where you're either with Him or you're against Him. We tracking on that? That's a fundamental area. And those of us who follow those fundamentals find that He is our God, we are with Him, or we are not. He is the Messiah, or He is not. The way that plays out is that we begin to see the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus as actually being the words of God, and now we want to become more like that. And if we believe in Him, that's where we set our course and our compass. Now we follow the ways of Jesus and a life of ever-increasing holiness, you get it now, is going to result in piety. Not the arrogant piety, but a piety that says, I want to live like Christ. There's going to be distinctive Christian behavior patterns that begin to, to evolve in people. We see this in James, where James said uh, that uh, pure and undefiled religion... Um, uh, looks like this. Hang on, I had it on a note right here. And it said, uh, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. When you see holiness, sacrifice, and love, you see the religion that delights God. And in our modern language, the signs that we're following Christ, those, those things that James had mentioned, uh, means that we're following a true religion, really following Jesus, and not just doing something that meets a therapeutic need that we may have by going to church on the weekend and checking off a box. It says, I guess I'm good with the big JC because I did the church thing. No, 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 no. Either we follow Jesus because we love Him, or you're playing a game. And at the end of time is when God is going to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff. And you don't separate that as, as people. It's not our responsibility to separate that ahead of time, other than perhaps in leadership and accountability. But for us to sit back and say, you worship differently than we do on Sunday. You say you believe Jesus, but because you do it liturgically rather than this particular way, you must not be saved. Those are secondary issues. Of primary fundamental issue is that we are continually looking more like Jesus. The Ten Commandments, by the way, start with us seeing the Lord your God is one, and, and it begins with that, and then all the other commandments will then follow and play out until by the end of the Ten Commandments we're actually seeing practical applications. Salt, water, and pure cannot come out of the same fountain. You're with Him or you're against Him. Period. That's just how it is. And uh, finally, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it starts to talk about peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. These are the characteristics, the fruit of those who are Jesus' followers. With Him, you act like that. You say you're with Him, but none of those things are accurate, you're not with Him. And so the thing that's fundamental is that the behavior 
of a transformed heart looks more like Jesus all the time. At our church, we like to say, come as you are, we'll grow together. You're not going to be perfect, but come and begin a pathway that's always moving closer and closer and closer to Jesus because if you're with Him, you start to act more like Him. And then finally, in closing out today, Jesus' main point really must not be overlooked here. Um, in, the, in the first, the earliest church, so prior to 325, prior to Nicaea, some of the teaching that was going on um, had become uh, off base, it had become wrong. And so the theologians of that early era were trying to pull people back to the true gospel and to the truth in Jesus Christ and what the Bible taught. One of the things that they identified early, this is coming from Augustine. You've heard of Augustine. He's writing a book to, to somebody and his name is Dardanius. And Dardanius was teaching that if you're a Jesus follower, you have to act exactly the right way within the exact right church and you had to do it uh, within this particular mark and in this particular way. And if you were not in this particular, uh, I'm going to call it sect, then they were executing him because you're not, you're not like us, therefore we'll kill you. I mean, that's crazy. That's like ISIS kind of level nonsense. And so Augustine is arguing back and back, back and forth with Dardanius, and he's saying, no, 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 that's not accurate, that's not truth. With him is with him, against him is against him, but with him may look different. And the, the important thing that they needed to understand is what Augustine was trying to talk about when he was writing a commentary or a comment on this particular verse uh, where G, in, in Mark 9. What Augustine said is um, th- that the real thing that Jesus is addressing is the thing that they need to understand at the time, and that the, f- the fundamental point here is that Jesus is taking the apostles from their freedom to their accountability. Okay, So it's not about them, it's about you. It isn't about those who are different than Jesus or doing things different, it's about you and the way you are living your life. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as you love yourself? Do you love those people who who are different than you? Do you love those people whose fundamentals are slightly different than your own? Do you believe, the main point here, do you believe that it's Jesus Christ that saves and the Word of God that brings salvation? Do you believe that? If they believe that too, then you need to love them like a brother and sister and find a way to be at peace with them. That's a big challenge. Friends, the reason that message today um, hits home for us in Sturgeon Bay Community Church in Door County in Wisconsin, the United States of America, in the 21st century, is that the church is ever, um, ever more getting drawn into our world's culture, society's ideas of us against them, our group and their group, hyphenating ourselves and alienating and dividing ourselves. But those of us who love Jesus should see ourselves as a great family. We, we all love God with all our hearts, our soul, and our mind. And we love all the people outside that circle as we love ourselves. And we are driven to take the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and give them the opportunity to choose or reject Jesus, to accept Him or to reject Him. But we love them nonetheless, not seeing them as enemies, not seeing them as adversaries, with seeing them as people who need Jesus and seeing Christians who differ with us in our practice as brothers and sisters that we love because we love God and we love them as we love ourselves. Clear enough today? Let's close in prayer and we'll prepare for our, uh, our family chat. Father God, I thank you for what is a bit of a challenge today. 
Lord, I hope that conversations will ensue now over the course of the week and months ahead where we figure out as Christians how we're supposed to make application of what you challenge your apostles with and challenge us with. God, that those who are with you or those who are against you both need to be loved by us. God, you do the separating wheat from chaff, sheep from goats. Lord, we do the loving you with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind and love those neighbors as ourselves. God, I pray that our hearts become filled with, with peace, with tremendous grace, with patience. God, I pray that our, our drive is to be better stewards, better students all the time. God, so we're trying to understand what does your Bible teach us who love you with all of our hearts and all of our souls. And Lord, I pray that the way we interact with you and the way that we interact with the people around us is driven by love and it's characterized by an ever-increasing piety and determination to follow you with all that we are. So God, we pray that um, humbly this morning. And I pray that the struggle that we go through in the weeks ahead is a struggle characterized by trying to figure out how to love those who are a little different than us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, who we are for. Amen.